The NCAA tournament is rolling into the Sweet 16, but none of the five Virginia teams made it past the first round in Indiana. We'll look at what went wrong for the Hokies and Hoos and what's next for those teams, and we'll talk about the sour ending for VCU's season. All that and much more this week on Teal and Barber. Welcome in to episode 46 of Teal and Barber, the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com's Virginia Tech, UVA, and ACC sports podcast. I'm Mike Barber, ACC beat writer for the paper, and joining me here, as he always does, my co-host, the 13-time sports writer of the year and the Virginia Sports Hall of Famer, David Teal. David, how are you, sir? Good morning, Mike. I'm well. Hope you're the same. I am. I've recovered from the travel. It was nice to get back to traveling. Uh, David and I both were in Indianapolis for the NCAA tournament, um, but it also takes some getting used to getting back on a plane, spending nights in hotels, all that fun stuff. Uh, Now, we're both back, I think, kind of uh, surprisingly quickly (laughs) from our short stay in Indy uh, side of this year's NCAA tournament. David, we're going to talk a whole lot about what happened uh, in the various games in Indiana this past weekend. But first, just your general take on on being in the bubble, covering the tournament, how it's all working for the teams, for the media. What, What were some of your big takeaways? Well, it's just as peculiar as the entire season, you know, with limited crowds and just, you know, you're used to the bands and cheerleaders and, you know, the the place going crazy when the underdog rallies and there's just none of that. And it's, it's just a different vibe, but as as Tony Bennett had had said throughout the season, it beats the alternative, and the alternative in 2020 was no March Madness, and to have it back this season was beyond welcomed. Yeah, I had a, a kind of fun experience after uh, the teams we cover were, were knocked out. I was able to get myself into uh, the Rutgers Houston game, which is of course, my alma mater. And I spent part of it sitting in the stands. I, I got a couple of tickets, um, sat up in the stands. And if you sat in a crowd of people who were really into the game, you felt a little bit like you were really at March Madness. Uh, and then when I went back to, to the media seating, you realize it was just a small pocket <laughs> of people. Right. And, and and when you get the scope of, you know, that one was at Lucas Oil, the, the big arena, the the black curtain down the middle because it's a football stadium, an NFL stadium. Uh it was interesting. I, I thought that the games we were at and, and some of the extra ones, I thought they had the best atmosphere that we experienced all year, and it was still such a far cry from what we're used to in an NCAA tournament. Yeah, absolutely. And I just, you know, I'm, 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 glad, I'm glad for everybody who got to play, and we'll get into this later, 52 games were on the schedule, but only 51 got played. Mm. And you just – you just ache for VCU. Yeah, it was hard to not have that be the uh, the number one kind of takeaway or, or thing you yeah, – I mean, it was the thing I was thinking about uh, on the flight home was, man, VCU, <laughs> all that traveling, all that getting there, all that emotion of being ready to play and, and then to have it taken away from you. Now, the games we did, did cover, David, they were in a couple of uh, fairly iconic <laughs> venues as far as basketball goes, obviously Indiana. It is so basketball crazy there in in Hoosier land, as our producer Dean Hoffmeyer likes to explain to us. And uh, the first one being at Butler, being at Hinkle Fieldhouse, 
what uh, that was the first time for both of us. What was that like for you? Oh, it was great. I, I wish we'd had more time to just explore the arena itself and just wander the concourse and look at the old photos. But that just wasn't possible the way the NCAA set it up. And I'm not complaining. I, I understand why they they limited time in in the building and why we needed to exit to make way for for the next group because there was a game following ours but it 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 was curious mike and and i know you noticed it as well that having the sunlight come in through those big <laughs> windows, you know, at one point you thought it was uh, affecting the, the play on the court that, you know, players couldn't see. It's almost like losing a fly ball in the sun, <laughs> but, but still to, to be in that building and, you know, most of us remember the movie Hoosiers and it was, it was cool. I, I, I love sports cathedrals. And whatever the sport, football, basketball, baseball, all of them. And to have the the privilege to sit in that one was great. Yeah, I've I've got a good friend who uh, has spent some time covering Indiana and Butler and uh, Purdue out there. And and when he saw the the TV and and the light coming in, he texted me and he said, uh, Hinkle Fieldhouse with the sun coming through the windows that means you got the good stuff. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. It is. It's special. And um, and then the same, I thought, because I had never been uh, to Assembly Hall uh, out in Bloomington, Indiana's arena, and, and walking in and you know seeing particularly the, the 76 banner fr- from that undefeated Bob Knight team. Um, I thought that was a cool setting too. David, had you covered a game at Assembly before? I had not covered a game. I'd actually been in Assembly before to do some interviews but never a game there. I, I was there during the off season and had seen the banners and such, but yeah, it was cool seeing a game. I found assembly a little more antiseptic just simply because of where we were seated yes. up in the rafters virtually with your head scrape in the ceiling and that far removed from it. It just wasn't as intimate to me as Hinkle was. Yeah, I'm curious. I would love to go back and, and all of these places. It's great to see them with a full crowd. But uh, you're right. I mean, we were <laughs> we were we were closer to the pearly gates than we were to the front <laughs> gate uh, with our seats at, at assembly. So that may have kind of clouded our our image of that. But you know, those two experiences I thought were really cool. And you know, I said I you know I, I saw a game at Lucas Oil, which the atmosphere I thought was the best of the three. But you know, it, it doesn't compare to the, the history and the tradition of a place like Hinkle or a place like a assembly hall now we'll start in assembly hall <laughs> we'll start with virginia um, mm-hmm. i'm not even sure how to approach this one on on the one hand you know the cavaliers they won the acc regular season title they they earned a four seed um and then they got beat by a 13 seed out of the mac mm-hmm. on the other side <laughs> uva was on a covid pause it didn't practice until the day before uh it's lost to ohio it, it only arrived in indy the Friday before its Saturday game, and it played without Justin McCoy. So, David, uh, on a scale of I'm stunned the ACC champs are out to <laughs> everyone could see this coming, <laughs> how surprised are you that the Wahoos were one and done in Indy? I picked them to win in my bracket, Mike, but Ohio was a very popular 
upset pick, and understandably so. So on the surprise meter, not much at all. I mean, we've never seen a team try to compete in an NCAA tournament under these circumstances. Literally no practice until the day before the game. And that was very brief in Charlottesville before they hopped on a plane to go to Indianapolis to go back into quarantine, to go back to having to pass two more rounds of tests before they could have a Saturday walkthrough and then bust out to Bloomington for the Saturday night game against Ohio. Unique doesn't even begin to describe that preparation. Yeah, Tony Bennett described it during the week as uh, not ideal. Here was Tony Bennett after the loss. We wanted a chance to play in this tournament. We got the chance. And uh, first credit to Ohio for how they played um, well coached and they played tough and they made some some big plays down the stretch. But, um, you know, our guys were, um, again, hopeful that we get this opportunity. The NC allowed it, us to come in and, you know, in a unique way. But um, thankful for it. But it just stings right now uh, to – you know, not advance in this tournament. It's uh, it's such a, a special tournament. Don't know if we got tired down the stretch or, you know, felt, you know, a little bit of the pressure, but thought we got some good looks and just had a pretty poor shooting day, a very poor shooting day from three with some quality shots. But again, they did a solid job defensively. You know, Virginia, it's interesting, Tony, talk about maybe fading late there. Defensively in the first half, David, I thought they were dialed in and they looked mm-hmm. like they might dominate this game. They, they couldn't shoot straight all night, and, and that certainly could be losing your touch, having you know not been on the court, not getting to do that kind of work. Um, but right at the, at the start, the way they were playing defensively, David, I, I had a good feeling for where this was headed for Virginia. Did you? Yes, and for a couple of reasons. Because I thought eventually some shots would fall, probably foolish on, on my part. And as you mentioned, they were so locked in defensively. At one point, Mike, Ohio had committed nine turnovers Mm. and UVA had committed one. And UVA ended up with a season low, three turnovers. Well, if Virginia's only going to turn it over three times, 99 times out of 100, they're going to beat you. But this was Virginia's worst shooting performance of the season, 35% and less than 30 from beyond the arc. And that just wasn't good enough. And then late, the defense cracked. And Ohio got some back cuts. And then Ben, ben Vanderplas, you know, just hit some daggers there from deep on the left wing. And when those two went down, it was over. Yeah, and, and, and UVA fans avert your ears, but the Vanderplas story w- was pretty cool. That, that'll that be something I remember. Um, you know, Ben Vanderplas is the son, of course, we talked about this last week, the son of Dean Vanderplas, who was a college teammate of Tony Bennett's. Um, they showed on the video board at Assembly kind of a split screen that had Tony Bennett, Ben Vanderplas, and Dean Vanderplas in the stands kind of pumping his fists and cheering when his son hit those, those big shots. And um, – to me, that was a really cool March Madness moment, although obviously it, it worked against the team we cover. Oh, absolutely. And I, I thought, it, I mean, Tony Bennett afterward, you know, sought out Ben, and that was really nice. And, yeah, I mean, you, it, it is an absolutely wild story. And to think that, you know, he was at least late, essentially the cause for UVA's demise. 
Yeah, for him to have that starring role just kind of ratcheted that story up another notch. And and you mentioned, you know, Tony Bennett finding him on the court and, and he asked, you know, where's your dad sitting? And yep. he pointed up so he could kind of wave to Dean and, um, you know, a lot of love and respect between those two families. But uh, Ben Vanderplas with the daggers on, on that night uh, for the Bennett clan and, and team. David, how much of, because you mentioned just a terrible shooting night, the worst of the season, uh, the defense fading late. How much of this do we attribute? And I know it's impossible to know for sure, but how much do we attribute to just being out of rhythm from, from not having practiced? A lot. Mike, if Virginia has normal prep, Virginia wins this game. That's just, I'm convinced. Maybe I'm wrong. We'll never know, but Virginia's better than Ohio. And with equal prep, the Cavaliers win. Yeah, I'm inclined to agree with you. And I I thought Ohio was pretty good. I thought they played really well. Um, But yeah, just comparatively speaking, Virginia at its best wins easily. I thought Virginia, even with its middle game, (laughs) probably Mm -hmm. advances. And and, and we just didn't get that. And that's that's not a criticism of Tony Bennett or the players. You know, as he said, not an ideal way to prepare. And and, and the way they came out, you thought, okay, maybe they were going to pull it out and you know I went into the tournament worried hey they were going to win the first one on emotion right and just go so hard because everything they've been through win that first game I was worried about how flat they might come out for round two but of course they never got there now you look at the career for example of Jay Huff right he was on the Virginia team that lost to UMBC first one seed to lose to a 16 all of that he was on the team that came back the next year and won the national championship. Then he was on the team that didn't get a tournament in 2020 because of a global pandemic. And then he was on this team that had essentially 24 hours to get ready for its first game of the tournament coming off a COVID pause. I mean, David, that guy's seen it all. No one will have a more tortured NCAA tournament career than Jay Huff. I mean, no one will. And, it, and and I'm sure given the national championship, he wouldn't trade any of it and nor, nor would I. And by, by the way, you know, anyone who tries to link UMBC to Ohio in an attempt to strike this narrative that Virginia fades in the NCAA tournament, it, it's just preposterous. The two are completely unrelated. Yeah, it's it's such a and we saw it we saw it back in Chicago, right? When Virginia lost to Syracuse in a game that I mean, in all fairness, Virginia should have finished that off. Yes. The Syracuse press just collapsed them, and, and and no doubt that that was a you know a choke moment right there. But the narrative then was Tony Bennett's system can't win a championship; it can't get you get you over the top. Um, and then you know when the UMBC loss comes, that just intensified. And then they went out and won a national title, and it seems like there's still this cluster of of media or fans, opposing fans, who still want to come back to that narrative. They've already shown you they can win a national championship, and I don't get the vibe that, that Tony Bennett is is ready to hang it up in terms of coaching. He's a, a relatively young coach, so I think it's it's kind of a stupid storyline, honestly, that it, that it pops up. But I, for whatever reason, and it's probably mostly about the style of play, Anytime Virginia loses in March without a national title now, it feels like this is going to be something people are talking about. It, it, it's quite possible. And nothing about the 2020-21 
sports year should be overlaid into any kind of long-term narrative, not at UVA, not at any other school, not at any, not in any other sport, this, this this athletic calendar is unique unto itself. And and it's all framed by COVID, all of it. I agree 100%. And I won't get up on my soapbox and I won't shout because I know my mic is running a little hot, but it's why I go back to the thing about firing coaches in this calendar, sport calendar year. It, It just seems ludicrous. You get your team from point A to point B, to me, you should be retained. And I know that's not the way it is. It's not the real world, but um, I'm with you 100% in terms of how we evaluate teams. And and I think that kind of brings us neatly to this week's Take It or Leave It. Thank you, Mike. Very blunt question here. Virginia fans should be happy about the season the Who's gave them. Take it or leave it. Let's start with David. I'll take it. They absolutely should be happy. Number one, they should be happy they had a season. Number two... They should be happy that Virginia actually won an ACC regular season title. Did it go sideways after that? You didn't get to finish the ACC tournament. The NCAA tournament was obviously disappointing. I get all that. But if you are somehow unhappy about the entirety of this basketball season, I can't help you. That's a you problem. Thanks, David. Mike? Yeah, I agree. And a little bit, it gets into semantics, but when the question is, should they be happy about the season that the Who's gave them? Yeah, what the Who's gave them was outstanding. Like David said, it was an ACC regular season title. It was a team that had a little dip uh, past the midpoint of the season and and recovered. Um, There was a lot to be happy about with, with what Virginia gave the fans. Now, fans can be very disappointed <laughs> in what COVID took away from them, right? Sure. I mean, Virginia wins that absolute thriller against Syracuse. They're the number one seed, maybe an ACC tournament championship in their in their future. I mean, it, it was really we were really looking forward to watching them play that next night. So um, the things that you can be unhappy or, or disappointed in, I don't think it has to do with the players and the team and, and their effort or performance. Um, COVID took away a lot from a lot of people this year, a lot that was more important than, you know, sporting events. But uh, at the end of the year, looking back, you know, like David said, the fact that we as media saw as many games as we did, and if you're a Virginia fan, the fact that you saw as many wins as you did, um, absolutely, I take it. I, I think they should be very happy. And and I think that the fans in Blacksburg should be very happy with not just the season they had, but the direction that that Mike Young has that program uh, pointed. Now, I'm not sure where to start with this one either, because uh, at one point in the Hokies game, that was the game at at Hinkle Fieldhouse uh, against Florida, they were in control of things. They they were up by double figures. They they looked like they were on their way to advancing, and uh, then came a collapse, and then came a comeback, and then came a shining moment from from Nahina Lean, who just had an unbelievable game, I thought, in, in his NCAA tournament debut, and then the disappointment of overtime. So, David, you're the Hall of Famer. I'll defer to you. <laughs> Where do you want to start to break down this game? Well, what I thought was interesting, Mike, was after the game, when we were talking with Mike Young, he, he had to adjust his glasses as he looked at the stat sheet and at Florida's shooting percentage. And <laughs> and I understood because for the most part, the Hokies defended Florida really well. 
But then you look at that stat sheet and the Gators shot 56%. That's the best that any opponent shot against Virginia Tech all season. And th- that step back three that Trey, mm. who, Trey Mann, who, by the way, I, I, I noticed on Twitter has reportedly he's headed for the NBA draft. And I can see after watching him why. But, you know, yes, Cordell Pemsel was was caught in a switch there, but he's draped all over that kid. And he just steps back and nails that three to es- essentially clinch it. And I was like, wow, what are you supposed to do there? And like you said, you know, Virginia Tech's up 10 or 11 in the first half. You you knew Florida would make a run, but then Virginia Tech counters. But but losing Aluma and Mutz in overtime to fouls just just hamstrung them too much, crippled them. Yeah. I mean, it it was interesting because you, you go back in the box scores years from now and you say, well, that's disappointing. That was the team's worst defensive effort of the season when you look at Florida's shooting numbers. And that just, as David said, that just that wasn't the case. Uh, they were dialed in defensively. The first possession, they nearly uh, forced a shot clock violation. And um, but but Florida just hit contested shots. Just not what you expect when you play that level of defense. And uh, here was Mike Young after the game on on what he expected and and, and what he got. You know, sometimes in this uh, in this business, uh, what you uh, think you're going to see and how things are going to play out in terms of pace, in terms of um, you know either end of the floor, isn't exactly what uh, what uh, what you get. This has been a really good Virginia Tech rebounding team. You know, they out rebounded us uh, by a, a pretty good uh, clip um, and just couldn't get uh, stops. You know, up eight, uh, we miss a layup, uh, they score. You know, we're uh, where we want to be. We're in good shape. Um, didn't handle some things very well, but I thought uh, Florida played uh, awfully well, and and uh, and they won. They uh, they advanced. We go back to Blacksburg, and that's uh, that's uh, hard to swallow. David, they they go back to Blacksburg with a bunch of guys who now have NCAA tournament experience. Uh, a bunch of guys that I would be stunned if they're not back in that event uh, next year. Certainly, I want to talk about one of them though, Naheem Aline, and the game he had. Uh, in the short time we were there in the bubble, one of the most memorable performances of the tournament, 28 points, and he hit a, a three-pointer, a walk-up three with about 1.4 seconds to go that forced the overtime. Um, we've seen him as a streaky shooter kind of get hot and, and take over for stretches, but I don't know that we've seen a game like that from Naheen Olin. It was his career high in points. David, how impressed were you with, with, with his play? Well, and, and the fact, Mike, he was hunting his shot now. And that that technical foul that Ron <laughs> Groover called on Aline there in the second, that fired him up. And he, he told us that a- after the game, and he didn't understand why he got the tee, but it was worth the one point because I, th- I think Florida split the two free throws. And I, I know you could say, oh, if it wasn't for that one point, we'd have won in regulate. No, no, no. That, that tee really did motivate Naheem Aline to the point where he, he did. He took over. Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I did have a – few people who said, oh man, you, you take that point off the board. And I agree with you. I think if you take that point off the board, you <laughs> probably take a bunch of the 28 off the board. Uh, 
sometimes we make too much of that in, in our hunt for a good story. This is not one of those cases, right? And he came out and said it. That fired me up. He, he didn't understand it. It upset him. It got him going. Now, every kid's a little different. We've been around and, and covered guys who, when something like that gets under their skin, it, it gets in their head and their game's off, right? It goes the other direction. So I think in, in terms of going forward, that's a really good sign that we know that Naheem Aleen is the kind of, he's the kind of tiger that when you pull his tail, <laughs> you, you know what you're going to get. Uh, that's great news. And, and more great news is there's a lot of talent coming back in this program, David. There absolutely is. And Mike Young said after the game that he expected essentially the entire roster to come back. Now, we, we've since learned that Joe Mamasil from the 804 is hitting the transfer portal, and we can talk more about that in a while. But still, no, there's, there's, there's a lot of talent coming back, headlined by Keve Aluma, and Storm Murphy is, is coming in as a graduate transfer from Mike Young's old haunt at Wofford. He's nearly a 20-point-a-game guy. He's a shooter. I have to think that that contributed to Bamisil's decision to exit, but – Yes, I think this is clearly an NCAA tournament caliber team next season. How much of, of Murphy coming do you think is the success Mike had with Aluma, with Hunter Couture, the success of Carlick Jones at Radford? In other words, you know, Mike's first year, it made sense to, to get what he could get, right? He was trying to, trying to rebuild a roster. Um, he doesn't have to take Wofford guys anymore. <laughs> he's established in the ACC, but he's done some great things with, with those Wofford guys. How much do you think that the way it played out for Aluma and uh, Justin Mutz from Delaware and some of the other guys I mentioned, how much do you think that played into you know expectations now for Storm Murphy? I think it played into it a bunch, but, but also I think Mike Young knows some of those Wofford cats can play, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. And you know they, they they won thirty games or however many it was his his last season there and beat Seton Hall in the NCAA tournament and took Kentucky to the wire. No, j j just because it says Wofford on the jersey doesn't mean they're not capable. Or just because it says Radford on the jersey doesn't mean that Carly Jones can't be first team All ACC at Louisville. Joe Bamisil now was a very promising prospect will probably go on you know to, to have success wherever he goes is this just college basketball now K kids aren't going to wait for minutes till their junior year that, that's just is that a just a thing of the past at least at the power five level it's not just the power five level mike and it's not just college basketball it's college sports and it's going to be more pronounced this year because number one it was a free year it doesn't count against your eligibility clock and number two, with the upcoming waiver that the NCAA is is going to pass. And here's another reason. And we, we both know Brendan Marks, mm -hmm. who covers the athlete or covers the triangle schools for the athletic. And he made a really good point in a piece today that sometimes the campus experience will keep an athlete from transferring that mm -hmm. will ease their frustration and ease their angst about maybe not getting the playing time that they would have wanted. 
Nobody had a campus experience this year, Mike. They've essentially been in lockdown. And I think that compounds the impatience, that compounds the anxiety and frustration, and I think is going to fuel the transfer market even more. Yeah, we, we've seen a, a mad rush of guys into the portal. And I think you're absolutely right that, um, I mean, just think about from a mindset standpoint, you know, if every day you go to class and you practice and you see your friends and you hang out in the dining hall or you walk campus and you, there's a lot going on. And, you know, at the end of the night, yeah, you may be frustrated with your playing time, but you may be happy or, or thinking about other things, other parts of just normal college life. I thought about this a lot. If you're a guy who's not playing, um, not even just not playing the minutes you think, but some of these guys who, you know, don't get into games at all. And we talk about the sacrifice of like the green team at UVA. Imagine being a guy going through everything that they put college athletes through this year, but knowing that, you know, you weren't getting on the floor, that that wasn't your thing. You were uh, a practice player. The level of commitment um, to get through the year for those guys, to me, is remarkable. Oh, 100%. Absolutely, no doubt, and it it, it takes uh, an admirable degree of selflessness to to do that. Yeah, and I don't know who made uh, I don't know who made this point, but I saw it on Twitter. Basically, if you're one of those guys who does the uh, way too early top twenty five list right after the final four, you might you might want to wait till the portal shakes itself yeah. out because uh, we have no idea in many regards who's going to be where. We've already seen it big time hit North Carolina, right? Uh, so I, I, I think we're in for a very interesting, very interesting offseason. No doubt. And, and, and no one will be immune. No one. So David, I'll ask you the, the same question that we talked about in the take it or leave it segment. Uh, how should tech fans feel about year two under Mike Young overall? Very encouraged. Who would have thought NCAA tournament in the, the second year for Mike Young's program? Now, granted, he, he took over a team that had just been to the Sweet 16, but that team lost its top five scores. And the leading returning scorer and rebounder, by the way, was Wabi Sabidi. <laughs> and you know, and and hey, he's he's terrific as as, as a point guard, as, as a quarterback, as a defender. But he's essentially a three point three rebound a game or a game guy. That's not what you want to be your centerpiece, your building block. But that's what Mike Young was left with, and he and he within two years. How's a team in the NCAA tournament? I mean, again, if anyone who wears maroon is unhappy with that, I can't help you. <laughs> this is uh, Mike Young is the took a team to the NCAA tournament the fastest of any tech basketball coach right. in the program's history. And I, I, you make a great point about you know yeah the, the program the program was in great shape because it was a Sweet Sixteen program and name recognition and branding and all that. But the roster, roster. <laughs> the right. roster was a mess. And mm-hmm. and and you know I, I think Mike Young rebuilt this thing way more rapidly than either of us anticipated. Um, And, you know, he did it, yes, with some transfers, but they're guys who, and not just because of the year, they're guys who uh, could play more than one year. And and Mm -hmm. so I I think he's building it the right way. I know long-term he doesn't want to rely on transfers and and, and grad transfers and all that. But um, like we said, that's partially it's the way of the world now. Um, 
And I think he's also positioned himself with Naheem Aline, with, with Jalen Cohn, uh, who was out with the injury, um, Hunter Couture. I think there are really good young pieces that, that he's brought in himself. And yeah, I think it's just, it's all encouraging. It's all, it should be all happiness if you're a tech fan, which is emotionally the polar opposite of what VCU fans had to endure. Uh, and I don't think through any fault of VCU or, or Mike Rhodes, I think this is just our reality in COVID. But uh, David, you and I had just got to Assembly Hall to mm-hmm. cover the, the Virginia uh, game that night against Ohio. And you know our emails, they, they pop in at the same time. And I think we kind of looked at each other, finding out that, that VCU's game had been canceled because of COVID issues in the in the Rams program. It was going to be a walkover. Oregon gets to advance. VCU, they have to go home. Uh, the team flies home. The guys who tested positive, uh, they've got to take what had to be just a miserable bus ride home. Uh, mm-hmm. David, what, what are you going to remember about that moment and, and, and finding out that, uh, hey, one team is out of the NCAA tournament for COVID here at this point, and it's the VCU Rams? Yeah, you know, your heart just sank. I mean, you, and, and it would have for any team, but obviously it struck us more because it's, you know, in the town where we work <laughs> and it's people we know. And that just magnified it. And you and I have talked about this during the week and we, and we talked about it that night. You know, the fact that Mike Rhodes and Ed McLaughlin within the hour were answering questions on Zoom Mm -hmm. from reporters about all this in a moment that just, it pardon my language here, it sucked for them. Mm -hmm. That whole experience was awful. And yet there they were on camera doing their best within the bounds of privacy to explain to folks what had transpired here and I give them a huge round of applause for that transparency. Yeah, that that was, I mean, they're, they're classy guys. That was a first class moment. Um, and if ever there was a moment where if the sports information director said, hey, can you give the guy a break? <laughs> I think we would have said, yeah, okay, we can give Mike Rhodes a break right now. And, and I think their fans uh, have to really appreciate, uh, you know, just hearing from them because, you know, they're hurting. They're hurting too at the same point. And um, that feeling that I thought Mike Rhodes and Ed McLaughlin gave the fans of uh, we're hurting together, <laughs> I, I think is going to be a valuable thing for, for their uh, program going forward. But on that day, I mean, just miserable. And I'll be honest, David, that the sinking feeling I got was, is this just going to be the first? Is there more to come? And um, that brings us to, a, I guess, a slightly revised edition of, of who you got. It's going to be how many you got. Thank you, Mike. VCU had to leave the tournament following an outbreak of the uh, coronavirus. They were the first team. We hope they're the last. What do you guys think? How many more teams will have to drop out of the tournament due to COVID before the nets are cut down in Indianapolis? How many you got? Let's start with Mike. You know, I was feeling really good about things going in. But from everything we've heard, VCU did did nothing wrong, right? There's no incident or, or moment where they messed up and caused this, which means if it could hit them, it could hit anybody. Um, I think they're doing a nice job. Teams have their own floors and hotels and everything they're, they're doing to space and cleanse the arenas. I don't think it's going to be many, but I think we would be naive to think 
that that we're done with this storyline. Uh, I'm going to peg the number at two. I'm going to say at least two more teams uh, have to back out, have to cancel a game. Um, I hope it's not more than that. I'd love it if it's less. But but right now in my head, uh, my over-under number is one and a half, and, and I'd take the over at two. Okay, thanks, Mike. David? I'm going to go under. Just I'm trying to be optimistic here. There's 15 games left. 51 have been played. One had to be declared a no contest. I'm gonna I'm gonna say none. I'm gonna say they're gonna get through this and and make it happen. Uh, I have no reason or no. Let, let's put it this way: I have no logical reason for for thinking that because we're obviously we're, we're we're quite a ways from April 5th, and you you just you know it it, it can't happen like the night before the championship game or, or you just oh. you know or at that point do they just postpone that that's what you don't know is, is how much wiggle room do they have here with the schedule would you be in favor david if we got to national semifinals there's four teams left you're the final four and one of the teams uh in the time between the, the elite eight and the final four test positive would you be in favor of pushing the whole thing back rather than giving somebody a walkover into the title game 100 percent. yeah I agree. absolutely yeah, I agree with you. I, I think uh, it's been an odd year. It's been unusual. Everything's different. And to me, if you can get four teams on the floor for the final four, um, that's got to be the ultimate goal. And, you know, nobody knows the right way to do it. Nobody knows exactly how to approach it. And and I thought that came up, and, and you wrote about this, with the A-10 and the way they adjusted their, their tournament yeah. schedule. Mm-hmm. And then, obviously, we see what happened here with VCU. Um you know, a lot of people, I think, pointed to, to the title game in, in Dayton as maybe uh, where, where this started. So, David, I know you had a chance to, to talk to people about this and, and write about this. What's your take on that? I mean, did, did the A-10 kind of mess things up here, or is this just the way it was going to unfold? Mike, I'm trying to trace the source of a COVID infection, to me, and I think to scientists, is literally a fool's errand. And it's, it's way too convenient to say this happened in Dayton. And if it happened in Dayton, why didn't St. Bonaventure have issues too? Because St. Bonaventure was in the NCAA tournament. St. Bonaventure got to play. So I'm not convinced that this somehow transpired because the, the A-10 played its championship game on Selection Sunday. And it it could the, the the infection could have occurred back in Richmond, it could have occurred in Indianapolis. There's absolutely no way. And and those who would try to link this to Roger Ayers, mm-hmm. the, the official who worked the A10 title game, who who's had a hell of a battle with COVID, and has has been really sick from this. You know, t- to me, that's grossly unfair. He was tested the day before the game. He flew in. He quarantined. There's nothing else he could have done. So I, I just think all those linkages are specious at best. Yeah, and, and before we move on, we, we both send our best, I know, to, to Roger and um – Hope for a speedy and complete recovery because, uh, you know, having been through this, COVID hits everybody differently. uh, And it sounds like certainly it's hit him quite hard. 100%. You're absolutely right, Mike. Now, 
looking at the tournament itself and um, yeah, our, our teams are out of it and uh, we have questions about what's next, but uh, upsets abound in, in Indy. Uh, everyone's bracket, honestly, except for mine, which is oddly doing fine, which maybe tells you that um, it's more luck than skill. <laughs> uh, people's brackets are in shambles. David, what happened that first weekend in, in Indy? Is this COVID related <laughs> or, or was just a wild tournament? Well, first, Mike, you know, quit teasing us. If your bracket is fine, who do you have in the final four? So I, I've got three of my four. I have Alabama, Arkansas, and Gonzaga left. Uh, wow. Arkansas, yeah. an inspired pick there. As you pointed out, I'm oddly a, a big SEC guy. This, But with all the talk about the Big Ten and the Big 12 and all our coverage of the ACC, it was uh, the SEC teams that captured at least my bracket heart. So um, we'll see if, if Gonzaga, uh, if those three make the Final Four and Gonzaga wins, then I'm in the money, as they say. So I'll, uh, when we're allowed to, I'll take you out for a margarita. But uh, there you go. But beyond that, what, what do we see? I mean, I mean, you you tweeted a stat about um, the number of upsets in this tournament mm-hmm. compared to other years. Uh, where are we at, and why is it happening? Well, it's the most improbable collection of Sweet 16s ever based on seeds. I mean, the the, the total seeds of the 16 teams adds up to 94. The previous record was 89 in 1986, and this is nearly double the seed total from just two years ago in 2019 when it was all chalk. All the ones, twos, and threes advanced to the Sweet 16 in 2019, and this year we saw the polar opposite. And I think part of it, you can relate to the pandemic simply because of the the scheduling this season included dramatically fewer non-conference games, which made it more difficult for the committee to not only evaluate teams in terms of tournament selection, but in terms of their seeding. And that may have been a a cause for all, for all these upsets. I mean, but still, I mean, come on, Oral (laughs) Roberts in, in, in the sweet 16. I mean, who, who, who saw that coming? But, Hey, you know, Max Abmus, their their point guard, he's the leading scorer in the country. He's averaging 24.5 points a game and went for 55 total in uh, in Indianapolis in two rounds. Yeah, and you know, I got to say, in, in, in such a hard sports year, <laughs> I think fans are enjoying it. And the nice thing about having this many upsets is you'll get some more competitive games at the Sweet 16 level. The, the problem with upsets in the NCAA tournament in the first and second round is they usually result in some team that doesn't deserve to be in the Sweet 16 just getting it put on them by some team that absolutely belonged in the Sweet And this year, we, we've got enough of these high and middle seeds that I think we're going to get some more exciting and intense. We've seen so many close games, David, even the ones we covered, very competitive. Uh, I think we're, we're going to get more of that. So of the group that we've got, Who's your biggest surprise that that's reached the Sweet 16? No question, it's Oral Roberts. I mean, talking about the the fifth, pl- no fourth place team, excuse me, from 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 the Summit League, or maybe it was fifth. But e- e- either way, not among the top three in the Summit League, and came from off the grid to to win the conference tournament, and then you know upset. You know, Ohio State and then Florida in, in back-to-back games. You know, and we were talking earlier about, you know, should 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 UVA fans be happy about this? You know, imagine you're an Ohio State fan mm. 
you know, the, the, the Buckeyes had this awesome regular season. They're, they're a number two seed and they go, they go down in, in the opening round. So it, it's, it's not like uh, the Cavaliers were in some kind of uh, small club. Purdue, you know, goes down to, mm-hmm. to North Texas in the first round. Texas and Shaka Smart goes down to Abilene Christian after having won the Big 12 tournament. So, you know, th- these things, <laughs> it, 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 is, it is the way of March. No doubt. And Oral Roberts was fourth in the Summit League. David, the superpowers, the blue bloods that they finished behind in the standings, the South Dakota State Jackrabbits, the yeah. South Dakota Coyotes, and the North Dakota State Bison. Uh, so, yeah, what a great story. And, and again, you know, a good reminder that if you have a great player uh, who gets hot, um, you know, a lot of good things can happen for you uh, in March. So let me ask you this. Uh, who, who do you like going forward? Give us uh, – I, I shared with you my uh, my pre-tournament Final Four. West Virginia was my fourth that, that's already out. But uh, who do you like going forward? Give us your Final Four now with your, your revised bracket, if you will. Well, my original Final Four were Gonzaga, Florida State. So I have those two left. I had Ohio State and Illinois on the right side of the bracket. So they are obviously toast of the remainder. So then I would revise and I would keep Florida State and and Gonzaga. And then I would add Baylor and Syracuse. Mm -hmm. Sounds like a good line. I'm interested, looking at the ACC and you say Florida State there, I like Florida State's path now and – it's Michigan, correct, is the one seed yes. in their region? And yeah. I thought, with all due respect to Michigan, I thought they were the, the flimsiest of the one seeds, in part you know, losing a guy to injury at that time of year is so tough. But um, what do you think now of, of that path? And then what do you think of the ACC overall in this tournament? Because the, the other one that we didn't mention that's still alive is, is Syracuse. And, and I, don't think, yeah. I don't think many of us would have picked that uh, as, you know, here are the two that are left from the ACC. Well, Syracuse as a double-digit seed is, yeah. is, is, is golden. I mean, it, it's amazing. Since Syracuse joined the league, it is essentially a 500 team against ACC competition. It's, it's a little bit above that because they were so good their first season. But since, I mean, they've been just middling. But Jim Beheim in the in the NCAA tournament since joining the ACC, they are ten and four. I mean, that's just so good. And they've been to a Final Four in that time. They've been to an Elite Eight, and now they're back in the Sweet Sixteen. And what makes it even cooler is that their best player these two games was the coach's son. And to to, to watch Buddy and Jim celebrate together, is, you know, tugs at the heartstrings of anybody, especially parents. So that that's that's really cool, and you know it, the, the Michigan Florida State game to me is is the is the best Sweet Sixteen game out there. And oh, by the way, it's the only one that is chalk. It's one versus four, just as bracketed. It's the only one of the eight games that has the two highest seeds possible. And that's remarkable, and I think we're both a a little disappointed that we'll be watching all these games from home, but. Um... 
also still a lot of fun to get back into that that role of sitting on the couch and, and taking in uh, basketball the way so many people in this in this country do at this time of year. David, before we get out of here, a football note: Virginia Tech has decided they're not going to hold their annual spring game. So this will be two years in a row now for Hokies fans with without getting into lane to, to see the spring game. Big deal or no? Well, it's a big deal to fans um, because they they're itching for the chance to get inside Lane Stadium to see the team, maybe do a little tailgating. But Mike, this was not an athletic department decision. This was made in concert with Blacksburg officials, with campus officials. And I know it came just hours before Governor Northam eased restrictions on outside gatherings. But I've talked to several people at Virginia Tech, and the campus was broadsided by that. They had no idea it was coming. Now, you can argue that there should be a better line of communication between the state capitol and Burris Hall, and I would not disagree. But nor do I disagree that inviting 20,000 or 10,000 people onto your campus to party right now and have a tailgate is a very good idea. Yeah, I think two things there. Well, three. One, I completely agree with you on the communication with the the state because I've been irked this whole time by the fact that the attorney general's office won't weigh in uh, on the FERPA and the privacy when it comes to the COVID data. And, And, you know, that's a topic for another day. But the attorney general's office is letting each institution even though they're state schools, kind of interpret it on their own. And you have you know, one school at Tech that views it one way, one school at UVA another way, JMU, all these different interpretations. So um, th- that's, a, again, a topic for another day. Two, I think we both heard <laughs> the reports out of Blacksburg coming out of St. Patrick's Day were not mm-hmm. great in terms of how uh, maybe the younger members of, of the community in, uh, handled COVID safety during St. Patrick's Day. I think that didn't help uh, w- with any push or, or pushback to try to get a spring game. But the most important thing, David, in terms of the topic is the spring game isn't very important for football teams and coaches. Like you said, it's for the fans. And mm-hmm. I think most coaches, and when we heard this from Bronco Mendenhall, his first few years at UVA, hey, they'd rather have a 15th practice. They'd rather have that extra than having to come up with a, a format and, and do you know scrimmaging in a, in a different way. Uh, from In terms of a getting your football team ready standpoint, I don't think this hurts the Hokies at all. No, no, not, not in the least. And I'm sure that Justin Fuente is is just as happy. I, I, I'm sure that he, he would – sure, he, he understands the need to engage with the community at large and the fan base. And he, he certainly appreciates them and can't wait to see them in Lane Stadium for the opener against North Carolina. But I, I think this was the prudent decision. Yeah. Uh- he appreciates and needs understands the need to engage with the fan base certainly a little more after that press conference we heard earlier this year. Uh, Whit Babcock announced he'd be staying and made a point of uh, bringing that up on a couple of multiple occasions. So I think you're right that 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 message has certainly gotten home for him. And uh, yeah, everybody wants to be back, and 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 I think the hope now is do everything right and hope that we can be back to quasi normal for the fall. Because I, I tell you, David, I cannot wait to be inside a full. Lane Stadium for a football game of a full venue of any kind. Uh, it's it's just going to be refreshing. Oh, it it sure will. It, just to have your ears ring. I, 
I may stand, get outside the press box, at least for the start, just to hear how loud it is. Yeah, and Enter Sandman will be something special uh, the first mm-hmm. time you can get fans back in that building. Well, thanks for listening. You can subscribe to Teal and Barber on Apple Podcasts or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. And please consider supporting local journalism with an online subscription to the TD. You can find special promotional offers available at richmond.com. Today's show was produced by Dean Hoffmeyer. Teal and Barber is a podcast of the Richmond Times-Dispatch and Richmond.com. For David Teal, I'm Mike Barber. Thanks for listening. Be healthy and safe. Enjoy March Madness. And please join David and me again next week. Next week.